0: Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 39 Waves. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for lost girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie.
1: And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris.
0: And this week we are discussing episode 10 of season 4 of Lost Girl called Waves. And the drink special for this week is inspired by my my southern heritage, I guess, because I feel like Sonic is more of a southern, in the U.S., I mean, like a U.S. southern food chain. I think they're getting more northern in the country, but I think they started out in the south and they're still more concentrated in the south. So you may never have heard of Sonic, but Sonic has this has this drink that they serve called ocean water. And basically what it is, well, what it is, is Sprite plus the mix that they use to make their blue coconut slushy. And it's really good. It's obviously not good for you because, you know, (laughs) it's the South and we eschew such things as health. And (laughs) (laughs) there is
1: an awful lot of blue food dye in that. Yes,
0: yes, there is. But it's really delicious. I've heard of Sonic. They have national
2: commercials. And I'm like, there's not a single one around me.
0: See, not everybody has a Sonic. This week's drink is an alcoholic version of the Sonic Ocean Water drink made with coconut rum, blue curacao, and Sprite. And I figured it was important to have alcoholic ocean water because we had no drunk mermaids in this episode. (laughs) And alcoholic ocean water is a step to getting the drunk mermaids, I think.
2: I kept laughing at the drunk mermaids thing because was that a requirement from when Emily first spread up her love for mermaids that they yes. had to be drunk
0: or something? Yes, okay. Oh, so here's okay. the thing. Here's the thing. Emily Andrus is kind of known for for her love of mermaids, particularly drunk mermaids. And there's an interview with her, I believe it's on the Season 3 disc, correct, Chris? It is. Yeah. It's on the Season 3 DVD set, DVD Blu-ray set. And she talks about how she isn't always the best at coming up with, like, the fay of the week. And her default suggestion is always, well, how about a drunk mermaid? <laughs> and every single time, the other writers had shot her down. So she was super excited that they finally got her mermaids in this episode. However, none of them are drunk.
1: <laughs> I think she did say that the joke in the writer's room is that her go-to is a drunk mermaid. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. okay. I think is what it is.
0: So this week's episode, Waves, another non- Fae pun related title, yay! But some people I've Duh. seen on Twitter feel a little off kilter without a Fay pun in the title. So I've seen a lot of varying reaction this week on Twitter. I don't have a good sense of what an overall reaction to this episode was, but I did get an email from a, a listener that I thought I would read part of, because I feel like what she says maybe encapsulates a little bit of what I'm seeing online as to people who were perhaps disappointed by this episode. So here's what she said. I just found this episode to be really, really upsetting. Bo did all of this, went through all of this just to get some guy back, We excused all of Beau's selfishness because we wanted to believe that she had suffered something horrible on the train, and she didn't? I hope in the end the Wanderer ends up being evil, but I feel after all the speculation and mythology hints that we've been given, if this is what we get for him, it'll just be really disappointing. I don't know if it's me having too high expectations, and I know we still have three episodes to go, but I feel really disappointed. So that was sort of her two cents about it. What were y'all's sort of first reactions to the episode as always,
1: I, I liked it. I always like, you know, furthering the plot, especially, you know, getting more background on what happened on the train, even if we're still kind of confused by what happened on the train. Because again, it's a mystery. Bo's storyline this season is a mystery. They're gradually letting us in on what's been happening. So I'm, I'm enjoying that aspect of it. Yes, I'm kind of almost as, Uncertain about what actually happened, as I was before, <laughs> but I, I think I'm I'm concerned about it in a different way than I was before. Maybe could you vague
0: that up a little bit, Chris? <laughs> yes, I probably could. <laughs> Not to giggle.
1: <laughs> anyway, and and you know, Kenzie and Lauren and Dyson on on the case is always a good time. Uh, like a lot of people,
2: I love seeing. Kenzie, Lauren and Dyson on the case. Uh, you know, with Kenzie's humor and one line one liners, of course, and Lauren's sciencey badassness and uh the pool. <laughs> but um and uh I was excited to see Karen Cliche guest star because I remember her from Mutant X, uh back in the day, and I know she's a friend of Anna Silk's. Um wasn't so keen on the Beau Rayner storyline. It left answer some questions, but left uh, as the other um, person who emailed with uh, left me with an unsatisfactory feeling. Um, and my other question, I love the Kenzie um, Dyson and Lauren on the case, but it had nothing to do with the ongoing Wanderer storyline. So I was a little disappointed in that aspect.
0: Yes. Yeah, so. so I thought this episode was pretty good. I liked the Kenzie Lauren Dyson part far more than I liked the Bo Rainer part, as I think a lot of people did, but you know, I, I'm still like I'm on the i I'm bored with the slow rollout of revealing what had happened, but I just wish that perhaps what it would have been revealed in this episode could have been a bit more interesting. It was a little on the dull side. I don't know. I I, I guess you know, I the train doesn't have to be all pillow fights and sex scenes and whatever, <laughs> but it was... No one wants to see that, no Stephanie. One, no, one. <laughs> no one wants to see that. <laughs> but it was just, I don't know, it was a little on the dull side, I thought. We have all of these flashbacks to Bo and Rainer on the train, and there was some interesting stuff that was revealed. I will give them that. But like I said, it was just a little on the dull side. I, I, I wish there had been a little more oomph to that part of the storyline. You know, I, I, and, and given how much that the little storyline echoed Beauty and the Beast, could we have gotten like a dancing candlestick? Something? I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you just want him to keep keep going with the, the musical theme of the season. I would
0: not mind it. A lot of Beauty and the Beast parallels in this little storyline that we see with Bo and Rainer. You know, Bo shows up Rainer is initially hostile toward her. There's this dinner invitation that Bo kind of refuses, but not really. But eventually, he warms up to her. And then there's this element of, you know, Bo leaves and the key to sort of saving Rainer is that she has to come back. And so these are all elements of the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale. But there are a couple references that make me think they are specifically calling out the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. First of all, we have the handmaiden who, when she's laying out the red dress for Beau, says, You'll look ravishing. And in Beauty and the Beast, the wardrobe says to Belle, Oh, you'll look ravishing in this one, and like, you know, indicates wear this dress. And then we have the bell jar with the dead butterfly in it, which is very similar to the bell jar with the dying rose, the beast's dying rose in the Beauty and the Beast, in the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. So we also we have a lot of Disney references in this episode with the kind of the Beauty and the Beast ones in the Bo Rainer storyline, and then the Little Mermaid runs in the Kenzie storyline. Heck,
2: even if Rainer and Bo had broke out into song and dance, it would have been less dull. I mean, that's kind of like uh, the mild interpretation of what I've seen on Twitter, and it was just... And it wasn't me being influenced by Twitter, I just kind of got done with the whole Rainer and Bo part, and I'm all, huh? So, um, at the beginning, you know, when they had the voiceovers and Bo staring in the mirror, and I was like, holy shit, I thought... Like she had physically, like hurt her friends and you know trick to like get out of the doll or something. And well, that's saying, what they wanted oh, you to be- think. Yeah, yeah. I was going to so, say that's the misdirect. The misdirect. Yeah, it was good misdirect for me because I'm like gullible and I'll believe anything. <laughs> so that's the kind of a viewer I am. But then in the train flashback, to me it was frustrating from the beginning because. Lainer's just standing there, and he doesn't even look at Bo, that whole scene, and she's like, you whisked me away, what's going on? And he's like, whatever, I hate this song, which was, or I am so sick of this song, which I thought was kind of a nod to the fans, because after a season of hearing it, they're prob- we're probably all a little sick of it, too, as much
0: as
1: we, <laughs> yeah,
0: so... But they didn't play it all that much. They only played it, like, three times, I think. But it gets stuck in your head yeah, but so when you much. watch
1: the episode five times it's each, it becomes an
2: earworm. <laughs> just... anyway. He's like another bru- Rainer says another brunette. So I'm like, what is Rainer's purpose? What's he been doing on the train this whole time? Do the crows just keep bringing him uh,
0: women? Yes. He
2: yeah, and he courts them, and then he gets sick of them. And yeah, that is what was the implication. so
0: different about
1: Beau. That was kind of part of the mystery. He pretends to court of them. Why she was different. The implication is that you know because he's we assume it was him or it could have been some agent of his, we don't really know still had hired Tamson, And I'm going to go ahead and guess that maybe he has hired other bounty hunters or mercenaries or whatever also to bring him this woman because he wants the, you know, eyes both brown and blue, yada, yada, yada. So basically they keep trying to find this woman for him free him from the train. But how would he hire Tamsin if he was on the train? Well, see, that's why I added in either he did or an agent of his did. Because we know that the, cro- the crows work for him.
2: Oh, uh, okay. And yeah, he true. can
1: the crows can come and go, apparently. Which, I'm so confused about this, because he's on the train, but, like, the train's pretty nice, right? Like, he's supposed to be imprisoned on this interdimensional train, but... Like there's a luggage car on the train, and people can come and go because it makes stops and stuff. Which I'm like, why does he have servants on this prison train? <laughs> I guess <laughs> he's supposed Trick to be wanted
2: him comfortable or something.
1: Well, no, he didn't. <laughs> from
2: that scene we saw. I know, but yeah, that that was the disconnect. I didn't get. He's got a maid. He's got a guy that calls out stops. He's got you know dresses and stuff for if he's not supposed to get off the train,
0: but then. I think this is just something we just need to not think too much about. <laughs> there are certain pieces of fantasy shows that you just kind of have to be, okay, and move on. But, you know, because there is the whole thing of when, when Trick banished him to another dimension, trains hadn't been invented yet. So how the hell did he get on the train to begin with? <laughs> That's an excellent point. See? since so, it was supposed
1: to be 600 years ago that's or something true
0: yeah at least 600 years ago D- judging by the you know the threads that trick was wearing it was it was quite some time before a train was invented and yet he's on this train though i did want to bring up somebody cuz we had talked about we talked last episode about the comparisons or the similarities between what we know about Rainer and the mythological character of Odin, and somebody pointed out that they thought the train was another nod to that because the train was known as the Iron Horse, and mm-hmm. and horses are sacred to Odin and and associated with Odin. Another similarity that we see in this episode is that Rainer's power was to anticipate moves in battle which is a kind of callback to Odin having sort of future knowledge he he goes on a quest to learn everything and he actually gets himself kind of depressed because he can then see the end of the world uh, Ragnarok in in Norse mythology so not quite the same but kind of a similar nod to the Odin mythology Did I shut y'all up about the train <laughs>
2: There's just still things that I don't get, but I'll let it go because I know no, it's I not going to be explained. I think they're,
0: they're perfectly good questions. It's, you know, we don't, there's probably not a good explanation as to why he has servants. If he has Huguen and Munin, we could, you know, make the assumption that Huguen and Munin can br- bring him people like, like, like his handmaiden, like the guy who calls the stops. I don't exactly know what all his job is besides being weird, but he at least.
1: <laughs> He's the, he is the cheese man. Yeah, yeah.
0: But it's, you know, it is a kind of insinuated that this is a purgatory of some kind. They talk about other souls being trapped on the train. What exactly does that mean? They mentioned that in episode three in, in Lovers Apart yeah. when Dyson and Cleo were on the train. So we obviously the train is a very mystical thing. We don't exactly understand how it functions.
2: Well, and obviously Rainer has some kind of knowledge about what's going on in the real world or Bo's plane of existence when Bo asks, are my friends okay? And he says, yes, um, you know, Kenzie and Dyson, they've found the compass, so they'll be getting back their memories soon, or they've almost found it. And I'm like, how the hell does he know that?
0: Well, that's that's another common sort of characteristic of purgatories is often if, when you're in purgatory, you can see the real world. It's, it's to make you, you know, suffer even more and things I like guess. that. Yes, but I guess, I mean, it was supposedly, inf- you know, it was supposedly...
2: You know, implied with the crows bringing him people and information, and that's how it gets stuff. But they could have, I think that would have, now that you say that, that would have been an effective scene to have, you know, Raynor show Bo all her friends. But, you know, then again, I, Raynor supposedly wants Bo for himself or something. So, um, I kind of agree with Lauren's theory of, um, you know, she doesn't know if Bo's under. Uh, an enchantment or something like that, because half of me still b- believes that. You know, with with the butterfly flashback, and we assume it's a flashback kind of alluding to um, 306. Uh, there's Bo place, like home, and Bo's mom is... 307, excuse me. Bo's mom is talking about the dying butterfly. And it shows Bo as a child, which to me, Bo looked awfully... I'm like, wow, her hair got dark. But anyway. And then we see Bo apparently bring the butterfly back to life. And then what does that have to do with her decision to stay on the train? You know, it's Bo having the power over life and death, much like, you know, she quotes, kind of quotes in uh, the ceremony. And, you know, Rainer says, it's you. And then you know, Bo tries to leave and she goes, But this, you know, us and then they kiss and I don't know, music swells or whatever. But for me as an audience member, there's no emotional connection built between Rayner and Bo. He just came on the scene and then they have this whole flashback sequence. And it doesn't explain to me anything. You know, it's just like it just is and it's this big question mark, you know, Bo says, What am I doing? And quite honestly I was wondering the same and
0: I thought that this was completely clear, but nobody seems to agree with me. So maybe I'm alone in this, and I will find out I'm wrong in the next episode. But I thought it was completely clear that in that scene in the butterfly, Bo was totally enchanted or charmed when Raynor touched her. Because if I agree with you, okay, thank you. (laughs) If you go and point out (laughs) that
1: specific moment, it wasn't the it wasn't the hand hickey point. No, no, no. She picks up the butterfly. The butterfly comes back to life. Yeah. And then Rainer comes up behind her, sees that this has happened and grabs her hand. And it's yeah. in that moment when Bo changes. Go ahead, Stephanie. Yes.
0: Bo has this intake of breath like <gasps> when, when he touches her. And then she's kind of like drawn to him and he tells her to leave and she goes. And then he, she comes back and she kisses him and they stop and she says, what am I doing? Which, to me, I thought that was totally clear. He somehow enchanted her. Maybe not purposefully. I'm not entirely convinced if Raynor is evil yet or not. So I will will leave it open as to whether he did it on purpose or not. But I think it's very clear that when he touches her, she gets enchanted or charmed in some way. And that's why she becomes so willing and motivated to help him get off the train.
1: Right, because the way she says, what am I doing, too, it's not like a happy, what am I doing? It's like a really, what am I doing? Like,
0: why am I kissing you? This is really strange.
2: Yeah. At least you guys agree that there's a theory of some enchantment potentially going on. Yeah, I mean, I okay, I got to go back and look at that moment because
0: I don't know if it's there's more. It's about 30 minutes, 30 seconds in the episode. Okay, thank you.
2: <laughs> I don't know if there's like more glowy hand special effect that made it seem you know that his effect literally had that his touch literally had an effect on her i just saw the point where she made the butterfly come back to life not that there was no
0: special effect well okay it could have been
2: made more clear it was clear to me well to me it was i mean i kind of see your point because the whole episode up until that point beau is very resistant she's very beau you know she's Mm -hmm. very like get me the hell out of here i you Mm -hmm. know whatever i'm gonna buck your rules this is my own path she's saying to the handmaiden whatever i'm gonna get off here until the handmaiden says well you're gonna die if you do or get transcendental sickness and die so yeah i mean up until that point she's very resistant to rainer Uh, you know until he tells her his sob story and then she seems to feel a little sorry for him when he tells her that he's cursed, that he doesn't remember, that he doesn't know who took his powers, and, you know, what his powers are. It, that's, to me, when I see her getting a little more interested in him. Not that it was an immediate effect, but when I saw I watched it again, I was kind of like, Bo, don't fall for this guy. You know? So to me that's i saw it more of as a subtle change instead of an immediate change and then by the end i was like bo Well, because she wasn't following for it though hmm.
0: well i think she was like well here's the thing and 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 here's where i will i will draw the line with being upset with the storyline if it plays out this way i am at this point willing to uh, willing to buy the idea that bo was sort of enchanted into going to these lengths to help rayner because while it's totally bo to want to help somebody who's been imprisoned wrongly or she feels wrongly and against their will. That's totally beau to do want to help mm-hmm. that person. She right. would she would not go to these lengths to do that, like, you know, turning herself dark and and being all I'm going to suck your face st- with with him. You know, this is not that part is not normal. If it turns out that she did this of her own volition, I'm going to have trouble buying that as a viewer.
1: Me too. Right. Because it was the suddenness and the completeness of her seeming to fall into this thing with him. Right. That, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense unless it's a matter of being put under the whammy.
0: Right. But I think the the, the combination of Lauren saying it must be a spell... Or charm. I need to examine her and sort of Bo's reaction in that moment after he touches her saying, what am I doing? I, I think it was pretty clear that there's some sort of enchantment going on, but it seems like a lot of people don't feel that way. So I might be wrong. I could be completely seeing something that's not there. I don't think you are.
2: No, I mean, you're kind of confirming what in my mind has bothered me the most about this episode is... Why is she willing to do all of this, to go have a contract with the Dark, to leave all these clues for herself? To me, the main sticking point of why I don't like the, or why I don't understand Rayner's hold over Bo is, A, because it happens so seemingly quickly, and Bo has such a 180 degree turnaround, and... Also because you kind of see it reflected in the other storyline, how what Dyson, Lauren, and Kenzie's reactions are to how it's difficult for them, but they move on and they find a case because they don't know what to do without Bo because Bo has just shut them out. And I wrote this in all caps, why is Bo so willing to move heaven and earth for Rainer, for someone she hardly knows, Uh compared to this family that she's created, compared to her ex-lovers, compared to Kenzie? We see that after three almost four years of storyline she would definitely do that for one of them any of them but why do it for Rainer so that's what right, bothers which me is
0: why, which is why I think that there's, there's definitely a whammy going on there exactly
1: has- I mean there kind of has to be just because of how much we've seen Bo not be with her family and again stressing the idea of family all season and suddenly she's shut them out Clearly something is wrong with Bo. Yeah.
0: Going back to the butterfly in the jar, obviously the flashback, I think we're supposed to connect it to there's Bo Place Like Home in that story. Do we think it's the same butterfly? In which case, how did how did Raynor come to have the butterfly in a bell jar? And somebody mentioned this and, and probably nothing will come of it, but somebody was saying, Hmm, I wonder if if Bo's mother's memory problems are having some w- something to do with hmm. how Rainer came to, to be, have the butterfly in the jar, which is far-fetched, that, but, but kind of but interesting to think about, right?
1: Interesting. It's like it's
0: probably not going to be a plot
1: point, but that actually – I like that. Yeah. That, well, that's interesting. It, this is the fascinating thing about
2: doing this podcast, is that sometimes, you know, you guys or other people always bring up these different theories or different aspects, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. It's like the <laughs> – it was at Munin last week, you know – I never saw that coming.
0: I I did think that Raynor had a couple of lines that were kind of interesting. They sort of, you know, piqued my curiosity. I you know I did kind of like it that when Bo showed up and and she was all, Why did you kidnap me? He's all I didn't bring you here. I think is, you know, very different from what we were expecting as fans. We were expecting this big plot where he targeted her personally and here she is. Had a
2: big fight.
0: Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting and it further kind of it, well, maybe I should put it this way. It, I still am not convinced that there's not something else bigger or a, a a different subsequent person that might be involved in this whole targeting bow because of the eyes both brown and blue, that whole rhyme thing. I mean, it's possible it's just Rainer, but I'm c- not completely convinced that there isn't somebody else involved.
1: Right. Because here's, here's my issue, I guess, with this with the revelations of the storyline. I can't decide if it's a matter of Rayner lying to Bo. Right. There is or, always that possibility. Or if in fact there is some sort of either a third party or if it's all some sort of weird result of what Trick did. Because we know there's some sort of um memory issue here for Rayner. Again, if Rainer's telling the truth. <laughs> everything everything has qualifiers on it. Yeah. Which is yeah. I think probably what's bothering a lot of people, which I get.
0: Yeah. I'm- yeah. No, I get that too. It's it's bothering me that at this point in the season we don't have more definites. It's only three episodes to go, people. And I think well again, the whole you know,
2: Rainer just being so offhand and like, whatever, I didn't put you here and just not facing Bo. And it's like we had this build up, build up, build up, and then it was totally different than we expected and that's why it was frustrating. But then, I don't know, I guess I didn't feel... Maybe it's just me personally. I didn't feel much sympathy for Rainer when he was telling his whole story. But I do think that, you know, it could be Trick behind the whole thing. That, at this point, Trick maybe could be the one searching for Beau with the, you know, eyes both brown and blue. That he just hasn't revealed himself, as you say, this darker side of Trick that we discussed earlier. Because, um... You know, I just think, you know, and then, you know, with what Trick says at the end, don't kill the Unamens, but whoops, too late. So, um, you know, at this point, I don't put anything past Trick.
1: So because he's been especially secretive, and that's saying a lot, all season. Well, the thing, though, is that Trick is being secretive with himself, which <laughs> kind of amuses me, apparently.
0: but Right, because he can't even... He can't even remember what he did, you know. He wiped his own memory as much as he did.
1: Doesn't he
2: know?
0: He doesn't he know at this point what he's done. He says he knows the, who the Wanderer is, and, and yeah, I think that there's there's we can assume from that that he remembered what he did. Well, it would have been nice if he told
2: everybody the story so that they weren't in this whole shitstorm to begin with, since he's pretty much responsible for all of it. But no, he he won't tell them that. He found out,
0: and then he came back to the doll, and then Raynor and Bo came back. He didn't really have a chance.
1: (sighs) Yeah, but he could have told them. What are you going to say when Bo walks in and he's like, "He's my destiny"? (laughs) Like he can't really confront the whole thing right in that moment. That's not going to go well. Then he'd come clean for once. But then the blood on Bo and Raynor might actually be tricks. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
0: No, I think it's quite it's quite possible Trick is still keeping quite possible and quite likely trick is still keeping secrets from people for sure. Another line that I thought was really interesting that Rainer said on the train was he says, what if I'm a monster and Bo replies, I'll kill you myself. And that's probably some foreshadowing there, I'm guessing, but maybe not.
1: (laughs) Rainer has this line when he's talking to Bo about how basically I think it's addressing the whole big fight with trick that, um, you know, because he fought to end Light and Dark, because it was turning families against each other and forcing them to choose. Then my thinking is, because, you know, it's a TV show, I'm wondering, does that mean that he is either somehow part of the family, Bow and Trick's family? Or is he, like, was he somehow involved with them, although not necessarily related? Because like, because he said that, and it made me think of Eva. So I'm like, was he maybe in love with Eva or something? Which I know is like a, a semi-out-there random theory. And actually, we don't know how old Eva is, so who knows if that's possible even.
0: But I, I think it's actually quite possible that Raynor and Eva were part of the same rebellion. I hadn't considered if they might be lovers, but that's interesting. Because, I mean, he seemed very
1: upset about this whole thing about families turning against each other. And we know that that's part of what happened as part of the the blood bloodthaws. Aoife was mentioned by the Unamens
2: at the end of the episode. So they refer to her and they refer to Rainer as a rebel. So, yeah, that makes sense to me that they would be part of this rebellion against Trick. Uh, my question is, with Rainer back on Bo's plane of existence, um, are all his memories back? Does he know that it's Trick that betrayed him and put him on the train?
0: That's a good question. I wasn't entirely sure because he, you know, had eyes on Trick at the doll and didn't really strongly react to him. So I, I, I wonder that as well, if he remembers that it was Trick who cursed him.
2: See, that just kind of makes me wonder if either one of their memories are kind of buried, and they just haven't surfaced yet.
0: Well, and
1: how many of his memories were gone, necessarily, because he recognized that Bo was a succubus, which is also part of my whole Aoife weird theory thing. And he assumed that she was dark.
0: The thing that I – the clear thing that he seemed to forget was who cursed him and, like, how he ended up there exactly. But he seemed to have all the details of – That's true. He rebelled – he didn't like this thing. Et cetera, True, because et the, the whole
1: point was that Trick had erased Rainer from everyone's minds. Apparently, also Rainers. So that that makes sense. Which I think I did think of earlier, but then had again forgotten because that's the way things are going. <laughs> With me, I mean.
2: You know what the thing is is that I think. Maybe it's just for dodos like me. I need a Lost Girl Season 4 for dodos. Because the writing, it just points to the writing being really complex this year with the kind of storytelling they're trying to tell and with the kind of intricacies they're trying to put in here with the new character of the Wanderer and how it's playing out. So it takes a lot of connections with what was said in this episode, what was said in this one, and how does that link to this
1: one? So, Which I love. I love this kind of stuff. I know it's driving people crazy, but.
0: Okay, so people were really, conf- well, I wouldn't say confused, but people were questioning why is Bo suddenly so enamored of this guy and helping him? I don't understand it. Here's the thing I don't understand. How did they get to the point where they attacked the Unamens? Did I miss a crucial line where they spelled out, this is our plan is we're going to go attack the Unamans? Because. Nope. It was like flashbacks on the train and then suddenly we're killing the Unimans. I didn't understand yeah. how we got from Which A to B. Let
1: us back up to the opening scene.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, what
1: was the sequence? Did she I mean the when he walks out in the towel, and let me just say, they have the the big sort of like suspicious musical cue when he walks out in the towel. Did you notice mm-hmm. that? Yes. Like for a dude walking out in a towel. Like that's kind of a weird So my question is the are we to assume that they have, well, yes, I guess we are to assume that they have cleaned off the blood from yeah. the slaughter. And yeah. that's when all that stuff takes place. So she's actually remembering the stuff on the train after slaughtering the Unamans. Is that no. what I'm to get from that? Because because she's still in that robe when Trick shows up at the end.
0: Right, right. Well, okay, that was something I was also unclear on Is is that I wasn't sure if they were if they were implying that Rainer was letting Bo remember those things that happened on the train. The first time I watched it, I thought that that was the implication. But I did rewatch just a couple of scenes, and and that was one of them. And the second time I rewatched that scene, I don't think so. I think that was just, here, audience, we're going to show you what happened on the train. Well, see, that was
1: how I interpreted it the first time. And then I think I saw somebody saying that... And so I went back, and when I rewatched, he does, like, grab her hand, he takes and her then hand. they it's go true. into the flashbacks. So, again, I'm not sure, since we know that touching may or may not indicate a whammy. Well, to, <laughs> to me, it's just more of a I, – I agree with you guys. How did they get from
2: going off the tr- – going from the train to killing the Unamens –
0: they had as there was a scene missing there. We needed to know why how they ended up killing the Unamans. Maybe it wasn't planned. Maybe they just got summoned by the Unamans, But we needed some. It didn't seem link like it as to how it didn't seem like that to me. But we needed some link as to how they ended up there attacking the Unamans. It just was not clear at all to me.
2: You, you know, I just maybe Rainer is aware that his power is too much for a rebel. You know. He's, once he gets his memories back, he's aware of how much power he has. And that's why he wants to kill the Unamens, because, every you know, he was a rebel and he wants to re- rebel against the order that keeps the Fae in line.
0: Okay, it kind of makes sense that he would attack the Unamens, right? Because his whole thing is he hates the divide. And what did the Unamens do? Enforce they, the divide? Enforce the divide. Mm-hmm. But I personally just really needed a moment where Bo and Raynor talked about how that was part of their plan of taking down the light and dark divide, something. It just didn't really make sense to me how they ended up there in this episode. The only thing that I can think of, and that was indicated by the episode as to why they went there, was that going to the Unamens and having the Unamens destroy that tarot card, the Wanderer card, somehow seem to restore Rainer's powers. Yeah. So maybe I could buy that that's why they went there. But they don't say that. And then I completely did not understand why that worked.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I was like... <laughs> Were
0: you all confused by that, too? Like, how did that...
1: Huh? I don't know. I'm confused about that, too. Because they didn't destroy it so much as throw it back at him. Because, okay, here's my thought on this. The Unamens use people's powers against them... Uh-huh. Like, that's their thing? So did is that what that was supposed to represent somehow? Some things
2: I did in relation to Bo and the Unamens, I did read a couple of comments on Twitter. Um, they were shocked at the Unamens and uh, that Bo killed them all. and said, oh, Bo's murdered and killed in cold blood. And I'm like, well, Bo's been a murderer for the whole ten years prior to, you know, when her fey powers came into existence to when she found you know, found out she was Faye technically. But that wasn't
1: really in Cold Blood, though. True, true. But
2: yeah, I think it was... was a
1: survival matter.
2: Yeah. But I think it, it is kind of a shocking thing for Bo, but she does say... I think it's partially she's under the... She could be under the influence of Rayner because he's why she's there in the first place. But I think it's also she's, you know, they do say, we're going to kill everybody you love, we're going to go get them right now, and she's tired of all the threats. And I do think they would have made good on their threat, even though, you know, I kind of wish Christina Horn had had more to do instead of just stand there and be non-emotional. But, uh, you know, it would have been cool to see the Unamens, like, physically in action more. But, so I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that comment. But I think, my personally, I thought, well... You know, it never goes well when you threaten. You can threaten Bo; that's fine. But you know, threaten her family and she, you know, that not you know, it's kind of hard because it's not in self-defense. I don't know what kind of a justification that is, but you know, you could see that Bo had gotten to a point where she'd had enough, and that's what she said to, you know, Unamen's number one before she killed her. So
0: it was definitely disturbing. I thought to see Bo kill. P- particularly, uh, Christina Horn's character—is it Christina or Christine? Mm. It's Christine. That's oh, what I Christine. Thought. Sorry. In particular, to see her kill Christine Horn's character, y- yeah, I think I think it was intentionally supposed to be a bit disturbing. I still don't think this is necessarily oh, Bo has gone so dark because the Unaments were sort of were a menacing figure. It's similar to her killing the Garuda in a lot of ways. That wasn't as kind of gory and such, you know, but. Equal, you know, she still killed him.
1: Because he was going to, like, destroy the world, so... Right. There was imminent threat there. I think that's the thing that bothers me about this Unamens attack, because, yes, they had threatened Kenzie and Lauren and Dyson and Hale and Trick. Not Tamsin! They did not mention Tamsin. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. They they threatened them, but they had threatened them also before. Yeah.
2: And it wasn't like they were right there with knives at their throats.
1: That's what I'm saying. There, There wasn't an imminent threat, which I think is maybe why... Bo attacking the Unamens in this case was so shocking because even yeah. Nadia was like right there with Lauren, sort of threatened Lauren, and still Bo wouldn't do it until Nadia slash the Garuda, yeah, like lunged at Lauren. And that's when Bo says, No, yeah, you know, knife. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm laughing, but it was horrible, yeah, it was horrible, <laughs> but. <gasps>
0: No, I think I think that's completely true. I think that's what makes it so disturbing is the fact that it was it was essentially unprovoked. There was no imminent danger. And, you know, we really get to see her put a sword in somebody, even even sometimes when there's been suggestion that maybe somebody died, which doesn't happen all that often. It's usually not quite that bloody and gruesome. Yeah, right. Not a, right. Not I not on think that's show. the other
1: thing is it's a very, very visceral f- violent attack rather than, you know, bow succubusing somebody to death. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is all special effects. Which, of course, they they couldn't do. I mean, they would... Powers don't work against them. Somebody actually mentioned, well, how come Raynor's power... They couldn't use Raynor's power against them. But I guess that's sort of the point of his power is how do you... Because it's not like an actual direct attack. So I don't know how... If your power is to... There's actually, this reminds me of an X-Men character, but I won't get into it because you guys will be bored. So again, it's just one of those, it's basically because it's not a physical attack. This is the only solution I have. Because it's not a direct physical attack, you can't really use that against somebody. You can't turn that against themselves.
0: Right. And that's why Bo had to do the fighting, because if Rainer tried to fight him, fight them, they would be able to anticipate his moves because that's his power, is he can anticipate. So that's why Bo had to do all the fighting. Because he right. could tell her what they were going to do.
1: And they couldn't use it against him. Exactly. Because it wasn't against him. Yeah.
0: That took me a while. I had to sit there and think about it. I'm like, why did that work? I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he still that knocked was like down quite the a few Unamens of himself. the Unamens attack that I that I got. But he still knocked down quite a few Unamens himself. Well, no, he knocked out the monks. The monks don't oh, have that power. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good point. I gotta say, though, Unamens maybe needed better henchmen. Those three monks?
1: mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Kenzie could get in disguise as one of them, so. Yeah. I'm kind of sad that we didn't get the resolution that somebody had suggested before, that maybe the humans would be the ones to end the Unamens threat. Yeah. Since they're human, they can't use their powers to use powers against them. Yeah, I mean,
2: I kind of wish, I mean, that's what I've heard on Twitter, that some people, that there'd been more with that storyline, you know, because it was a threat, it was a threat, it was a threat, and it's Bo who's taking him down in this
1: disturbing way, but... I actually like this as a twist on on what we expected to happen, just yeah. because I didn't I didn't see this coming at all.
0: I didn't either. I thought when we got rid of the Unamens, it would be this, you know, triumphant, glorious, end of the divide, maybe, type and, of thing. End of the
1: season. Kind of like, yeah. Yeah, like, like, like with the not- Gruta. yeah. It's very interesting to me that we have three episodes left, and now we have to deal with the fallout from this.
2: I like it. You know, now we've got this. Oh, by the way, we have an origin seed that was stolen from Trick, and you know who's going for it in the end with the bandaged hand. I've heard a bunch of theories. Okay,
0: let's let's put our theories out there. Who do we think the hand belongs I've to? I've heard of who's missing a hand.
1: You know, uh, Vex or but but it's not a missing hand. It's it could be a reattached exactly. hand, it which is what Vex right. could be. Um, be Akasha, yeah. You know, could be Aoife,
2: people were like throwing all kinds of stuff out. And I'm like, I don't know, man, one of the Unamens who's still
0: alive. I'm like, we'll find out. Well, here's my thoughts as to the the bandaged hand. Unamens, doubtful, because the whole point was when they died, all of their power went into the last seed. And that's what makes it so dangerous. So I doubt that it's a not quite dead Unamens. Vex, maybe, but they've really been humanizing his character this season. I kind of don't think they'll go there with him. Option three, Acacia. I think that's an interesting one. I'm not entirely sure how she would have gotten her hand reattached since Tamsin had it. But maybe. Interesting theory. My money, though, is on Aoife. That's where I'm putting my my two cents. I like the idea of Aoife because when we met her in season one, that seemed to be something that would be of interest to her. Maybe becoming all-powerful and you know, having everybody bound down to her, it it seems like potentially a, a good carry through of her original storyline. You know, she ends the light and dark divide, and it's just her. But, uh and, and I like the idea of maybe reaching some kind of conclusion with her storyline. I know that mm-hmm. people really like her character, and they like that they brought her back. But, you know, she's very disturbed, and she's, a you know, had some bad stuff happen to her, and I don't think it'd be a bad thing to have some sort of resolution to her storyline. Yes,
1: and she's gainfully employed on Orphan Black now. So
0: yeah, yeah.
1: uh Image Feeder says it is Crystal's hand. <laughs> <laughs> <I mean>, well, <laughs> crystal Watch episode what six? six? Are we on six?
0: Yeah. It's still no leaves. Still no leaves. 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 So now that we've exhausted the Bo and Rainer storyline, let's move on to the the fun, fun storyline that I absolutely <laughs> loved. The Kenzie, Lauren, and Dyson shenanigans. So Chris did some research into mermaid mythology.
1: So apparently the first stories were in ancient Assyria, in which the goddess Atargatis, I, guess, I don't know, A-T-A-R-G-A-T-I-S, uh, transformed herself into a mermaid out of shame for accidentally killing her human lover, which I thought was interesting because who does that sound like to you?
0: Bo? And we're talking about Bo's first lover, Kyle, not yeah. Lauren. We're not saying she's like, killing Lauren. That is true. That is.
1: Yeah. That is what I, was, I, mean. I was having a mini yes. freak out. Thank you. Kyle and, and the 10 years of people in between. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also a 15th century compilation of quotations from Chinese literature which apparently has in there a mermaid who wept tears, which became pearls. Which,
0: which of we course, see in this
1: episode. Yes, which is why I included it. because I thought, oh, aha, <laughs> it didn't come out of nowhere. Not that I thought it did, but there are unlucky omens in British folklore. And, of course, are associated with sirens, which I thought was kind of interesting. And, um you know how they always talk about how uh they think that mermaid legends came from like sightings of manatees and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, appa- apparently manatees and dugongs are from the Cyrenia uh, genus or whatever. I'm probably ah. using the wrong word. I'm sure somebody will correct me.
0: No, I think you're right. I think it's genus. Because species would be specific to that particular creature. So it's probably genus.
1: My science days are long behind me. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting In you know, in the U.S. and 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 probably a lot of places, due to The Little Mermaid, we get really excited when we think about mermaids. We think of Ariel and and Dinglehoppers. (laughs) Yes, and Dinglehoppers mentioned the. Was it last week? Yeah. So you know, we think they're these fun creatures, but they are often darker creatures in mythology. And like Chris mentioned in British folklore, they're unlucky omens. So we they are not these fun, happy, bursting into song type creatures that we like to think of them as. So I thought that these these mermaids and the merman, I, I like that they were just sort of delightfully ruthless and self centered. I I just, but I liked at the end where they bring the th- the second sister in and she's you know told them this sob story about how she misses her brother and she just wants him back. And then he's all, "We're gonna all get legs and and hell with these people." And she's like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and otherwise i would not have bought that but you know since they had the other two just be completely you know these horrible people i'm like okay i can buy that (laughs) (laughs) i thought that this was a fantastic you know little caper and i thought that it really showcased all of kenzie and dyson and lauren's different talents perfectly because you have kenzie who gets to wear a costume and charm people by you know Calling them on being sassy and sneaking around in <laughs> You're vents <a> assistant, <laughs> yes, exactly. And then you have Dyson, who you know uses his physical strength. I loved when he jerked the guard out of the out of the hallway when Kenzie's trying to develop this complicated system. It'd be funny. Like, or
1: <laughs> you also liked Dyson in that costume?
0: Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Can I just say? Chris Holden-Reed was looking good this week in that I think Dyson might need to change professions. No cop. He needs to be a mailboy. boy. It's working for him. So, you know, you have Dyson using his physical strength and then his knowledge about mermaids from being a thousand years old. Though I did find it kind of funny where they're like, oh, Dyson's a wolf and he's using his smell by telling us this is salt water. I'm like, uh, I think I could suss that out. Yeah. <laughs> They're all uh saltwater Smells different than chlorine. And then we have Lauren, who uses her science and her smart. So I thought this storyline just really showcased all of these characters' qualities perfectly. Now, it only if only we could add Bo and Trick and Tamsin and Hale into this mess and have everybody <laughs> working together, that would be perfect. Perfect for me. Thank you.
1: Season five. Everybody working <laughs> coherently together
0: to figure out this Rainer mess. That'd be good. Even if Trick is involved, well, okay, because here, here is your your thing, Annie. You didn't like that the this plot was didn't have anything to do with the Rainer storyline, but how could it? I know. Well, it's just I, I feel the look. This
2: sounds cheesy, but it's like I feel the pain the characters are going through because Bo, you know, as Lauren says, she shut us out. You know, you have the very beginning. Dyson's in the very Dyson should protect mode and Lauren's more rational thought of well maybe it's possession maybe it's a spell you know I need to examine them examine her (laughs) my mind's all (laughs) but um, and her decision really hurt all of them and you have Kenzie at the very end she's like "Bo still hasn't called us and then she you know she gets very tearful what is she doing and you know I mean I could see why the writing had to go that way but to me it was just like I wanted to figure out, I mean, if they have been working on a case or kind of been following up with Bo or working, you know, without her knowledge to figure out the Rainer story, maybe, and we'd gotten pieces of it that way or different pieces of it or had gone up against the Unamends or something, you know, to connect all these storylines, that would have been, I, I would have been a little more satisfied with that because it's just, you know, you have this case of the week dropped in there and it just, it was a great, to see everybody work together that way but it just you know with everything all the questions we wanted answered again it's kind of reminded me a little bit of 303 where you have the case the fey of the week and i'm like the story is so intertwined at this point i just um i just wasn't you know i wanted a little more connection between everything again i could see why they had to do what they did but i just wasn't a fan of that
0: so. See, I think we really needed this balance between this really fun, lighthearted, colorful – that was something I was g- going to bring up. There's the way that they use color in this episode. Mm, There's some point. beautiful colors going point. on in the storyline with, with Kenzie and Lauren and Dyson. You know, we have the blues of the swimming pool and the leg room. We had I didn't know what to call the, the room with the legs. I don't know <laughs> what to call it. <laughs> Not like the, the room, room, room in, in the me. back of the car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The yellow of the of the gym. We had Kenzie's red suit. We had Lauren's kind of pink shirt. Dyson got to wear colors other than black in this episode, <laughs> and I think we really needed this kind of colorful, bright story as a contrast to this kind of dark backstory we're getting from from Beau and Rainer on the train. And they chose a very saturated yeah, like sepia saturated, tone. I'm sorry, a, a very um desaturated sepia yeah. type of of look for those scenes. Yeah, right, and. I think part of it, too, is
1: one thing, I mean, it does highlight that they are completely separate storylines. And, again, I think part of the whole thing, because Kenzie and Lauren and Dyson spend half of their storyline sort of worrying about Bo and what's going on with Bo. And so I think part of it, too, is that the three of them are sort of more solidified as as a team than we've really ever seen them so I think maybe that's part of what's going on, too, is we need them really united in their concern for Bo. And we need Bo completely off in her own world because we've never seen that before. And frankly, it's very worrying. And I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that that's entirely the point. We're supposed to be worried about Bo.
0: So I thought, I thought Annie was bringing up some good points about the Lauren Dyson-Kenzie storyline where we see them – kind of talking with each other and bonding with each other, basically mourning the loss of Bo. She's not dead, but she's shutting them out right now. And, you know, Kenzie made me so sad when she got all choked up at the end of the episode because she was trying to put on such a brave face in the beginning. And then I really loved, as, as Annie mentioned, how the first scene between Dyson and Lauren really highlighted the differences between those two characters. You know, Dyson's I got to do something guy, even though Bo tells me not to, I have to do something. I can't just sit here. And then you have Lauren who's able to be more patient and take the time to regroup and maybe even prefers having a moment to sort of make a plan. Well, Mm -hmm. I love that she
2: talked back to Dyson and said, this is what, you know, this is how it is. This is how I approach it. You know, she shut us out. This is, this is the reality here. I don't think Lauren would have necessarily always done that in the past you know, given their adversarial relationship, given that she was a slave to the Light Fae or, you know, more, a little more subservient in the beginning of the series. Um, but I just love how she's grown and she's just like, you know, look, Dyson, this is how it is. And we don't, you know, and they, I love how they both say, you know, those are only case now, but Kenzie convinces them they have to do something. Otherwise they're just going to go nuts, you know, worrying.
0: And I really liked that little kind of, she doesn't say it directly, but when Kenzie first pops in and is trying to talk them into taking a case, she's like, you know, it's a traditional story of new guy comes along and, you know, dumps all of her regular friends and it sucks. She says it more eloquently than that. But I like that that was kind of a not, maybe she didn't mean it exactly, but kind of a, you know, she did this to me when she dated both of you guys. So (laughs)
1: that is kind of true. I've kind of of been here before. (laughs) The thing about that scene that kept driving me crazy because I'm weird like this. Dyson breaks that bottle in his hand, and then they just kind of like brush the broken glass aside, and then Kenzie hops up there in her mini skirt, and I'm just like, don't do that! There was broken glass there! I do that <laughs> on the second viewing. I'm like, wait, Because Kenzie. I worry about her.
2: <laughs> Lauren could pick glass shards out of her ass if need be, but still, I was <laughs> like... <laughs> I was like, wait, Kenzie! Uh, so... But, and then you have these lines that are kind of a little bit throwaway, but still, Kenzie says, Tamsin's recovering still, and I'm like, what is she recovering from? Was 409 that hard on her? Uh, You know, where's Hale? Where's Tamsin? Where's, you know, Trick doesn't show up till the end? You know, again, we'll get everybody back next week, but, you know, it's... um, you know, it'd be kind of, I think it would be a little, yeah, it would have been a little rush to put even more people into the mix on the case. And it was unique to have this different triangle of Kenzie, Lauren, and Dyson.
0: Don't call them a triangle. Don't call them a triangle. There's no shipping here. We are not shipping these characters. Friendship I just want to make that very clear. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> trio. Friendship trio. I'm <laughs> there sorry. You go. I'm trio. sorry.
1: Look, with all the crack ships this freaking season <laughs> it's like words we have to avoid triangle yes. threesome don't use those words the no. connotations <laughs>
0: back away slowly
1: <laughs> as stephanie hyperventilates friendship shapes like a shape trio yeah
2: let's okay, go with it's a trio. trio i think it's, it's safe tr- to so the to friendship use the trio, trio. Uh, I think if you added more to the friendship trio the episode would have gotten a little crowded so maybe I can see why Tamsin wasn't or Hale wasn't in this episode oh this so this was a question I had and I'm sure a question many people had Dyson mentions that uh, he's been training Kenzie as a shadow thief when she uh, snitches Lauren's not panties, underwear. underwear, for apparently not the first time.
0: <laughs> she can't just say underwear. She has to say, not the P word, Not underwear. the P word.
2: <sighs> Zoe Palmer expressly mentioned she doesn't like that word. So... But he says he's been training her as the shadow thief. When did that take place? And everybody's like, when did that take place? And why is that off screen? And I'm like, dang, another thing I would have liked to have seen a hint of on screen. And what is it, what is being a
1: shadow thief? I mean, it must be. That's how secret, is. secret it is. They can't show it or tell you <laughs> what it is.
0: I kind of wonder with, because there hasn't really been all that many fights scenes on screen right yeah this season it most of the Unamans and Bo and rainer fight scene was off screen in this episode anyway so i wonder if it's maybe a money saving measure that they're not mm. putting like Bo and or dyson and kenzie training bow kicking a lot of bad guys butts well, you know i don't i wonder if there's a budget a reason this,
2: you know, here, I, know partly that. I like
0: my answer better <laughs> but but, you know, for for the Dyson and Kenzie scene, yeah, that's a good question. Why couldn't we see at least some of that? I mean, I don't mind, you know, hearing that it took place off screen, but I would like to see some of the training at some point. Yeah,
2: but uh, you had a comment on Twitter, Stephanie. You didn't believe those were Lauren's underwear. No. <laughs> and I'm like, she can no. have whatever underwear she wants. I like her in that well, underwear. But look at the clothes she wears. I know, she was
0: very, a little very surprised sort too. of... Classic clothes, solid colors, not a lot of prints.
1: Every once in a while, I don't know
0: the lacy. But this is after
1: Lauren. This is after Bo has shut them out, though. So why? Maybe she's (gasps) trying to entice her to
2: come back. Like I tweeted,
1: if all Lauren had to do was
2: wave those pant, those underwear in the air and flash her in the bathing suit, and Bo would ditch Rainer like a hot potato.
0: There was such a an outcry after. Episode 304 Fade to Black where they show Bone Lauren smooching on her chaise lounge and she's wearing that you know the the bra and the underwear with the flowers on them. People were just like that uh, Lauren would not wear underwear with flowers on them. I just can't believe because that.
1: People were expecting what we got in this episode apparently. Is that is that fair
2: to well, say? No, she's changed. Yeah, exactly. She goes, "Well, freaking flowers on the bra didn't work. We'll go with purple and lace."
0: No, those were not Lauren's underwear. Whatever, I cannot stop popping my show. bubble. I'm I, sorry. I don't really buy it either. You're interrupting my stop fantasy. It. Go ahead and and express your appreciation for Zoe Palmer in a bathing suit. Here's your minute and a half to That's it? <laughs> express your appreciation. No.
2: Well, it was so funny for I liked how the the shot mirrored the shot at the beginning with um with Diana. I'm all oh another blonde, and I I couldn't see the shot right away at them all. Oh my god, it's Lauren! Wow, that she looks really nice in a bathing suit. Wow, yeah, Kenji is very correct in saying I have the best legs in town, or something like that. Best bait around, Doctor Leg Bait. Mm. But yes, and there are some lovely promo shots of Zoe in that one piece. So yay! Anyway,
0: thank you, fan service. So. Just briefly, the couple of season (laughs) themes that have been touched on in this episode. We have memory again, because Raynor saying that he can't remember who cursed him. Maybe he's lag, maybe not. Either way, memory again. And then another theme that we haven't really talked about before, because sometimes I'm slow to pick up on themes. Give me a minute. Is power, right? So we've had Tamsin coming back for her last life, which supposedly makes her the most powerful. We've had... Vex making a play for the Morrigan and kind of failing, and and then the Morrigan rising back to power again. We've had this, you know, corruption that we've seen when Trick was very powerful back in the, you know, olden times when pantaloons were a thing. And we've <laughs> we have the Unamens who are all about sort of keeping power in check and sort of dealing with people who are too powerful. Like they said, Vex was too powerful being a mesmer, and and Rainer was too powerful because he. He had this ability that he could see in battle. And then now in this episode, obviously, we have all of the Unimens, all of the Unimens' power being concentrated into this one seed. So again, a following through on this theme of power in this season. So as far as stray thoughts go, since I just mentioned Rainer's ability to see ahead in battle, we had Jay from the Resolute Isles podcast email us and ask, how is it that Raynor was killed to begin with, as we see happen to him in 409 in Destiny's Child? He was killed in battle because Tamsin was going to take his soul. How did that happen if he could see ahead in battle? My thinking is, it's a good question, but my thinking is, since Trick was involved, probably we're supposed to assume that Trick used his blood in order to defeat Raynor.
1: Right. Especially since the whole point of that storyline is that Trick was going mad with his power, so presumably using it a lot. So yeah. so yeah, I always assumed that Trick had used his power to win in battle. Well, and Trick says that Rainer was
2: the one who was, or implies that Rainer was the one that was uprising against him. So he wanted to stop him. So he would have found a way. Yeah, my stray thoughts about this episode. So many great Kenzie one-liners, of course. Uh, like, you gotta teach me some epic mer swears when the, they talk to each other in dolphin language. <laughs> and then they tired down, God, for species without assholes, you sure act like ones. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's right. That was a great <laughs> time. <life>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and,
2: uh, hey, who knew that it just took tap water to defeat, you know, mermaids and mermen? So.
0: Dr. Lauren Lewis did, because
2: she's awesome. She is a badass. And I love how that shot, the water, covered the camera. I just love that. I'm like, yes. So...
0: I thought it was interesting, this... Because I... (laughs) On the rare occasion, I usually don't do this, but I actually looked at the promo pictures before the episode aired, and I was really surprised to see that the director was in a, a lot of the shots. It was usually a direct... The director... Talking to Chris Holden or talking to Kyle Schmid, and I was thinking, why is the director in here so much? Well, the director who directed this episode, director X, this is actually his first time directing a TV show. He's usually a music video director and a fairly prominent one. He's he's directed like Justin Bieber and and he knows a lot of prominent people in the industry, so he's a fairly famous video um, music video director. I thought that was neat that they this was his first foray into TV. And he chose Lost Girl. But yeah, I mean, I remembered
1: their tweeting, uh, I think around the time they filmed it, that they were getting him to direct, that it was sort of a big deal, uh, press-wise. Yeah. And I think as
2: Lost Girl goes on, they get bigger guest stars and they get, um, you know, the the show itself, you know, as they always refer to, the little show that could, um, gets more prestige and gets more well-noticed. So I think... um, I think that's great.
0: So. A little directorial touch that I really enjoyed was I liked how before the scene with Lauren and Dyson started at the beginning of the episode, he was focused in on the sign in the gym that said, please respect your opponent at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I thought was really an appropriate way to begin a scene with Lauren and Dyson, <laughs> especially now that they do, do respect- seem to respect each other. Oh, I
1: didn't think of it that way. I was way. actually noticing that, the, that sign, I think, in the... Um, uh, let the Dark Times Roll. There's the scene where Vex has paralyzed Bo Beau and Bo's uh, on the bed. I think in that scene you can see that sign on the wall and so I I had noticed it before. So it had stuck in my mind. Also kind of appropriate for that scene. Yeah. But in a different way. Yep.
2: Uh this is a random aside, but I have uh, uh there's one person that I really want to direct. Um Lost Girl if it goes on for another season. Uh, his name is T J Scott and he's directed Orphan Black. He's directed Mutant X when it was on, he's directed he started out doing a bunch of Xena. He did a lot of um, Spartacus. So he's he's a very visual very um he does a lot of gorgeous shots and a lot of steady cam and stuff like that, but and his wife is also an actress who used to be on Mutant X, so I keep tweeting them going are you going to direct next year? Are you going to be on Mutant- Are you going to be a Lost Girl next year? And Victoria tweeted me back, going, "Yeah, that'd be great." And so did Karen Klish. and This was actually before, uh, you know, I knew she was cast. So, um, so I thought that was neat to see her on there. And Mutant X was um, one of Anna's first acting jobs. So if you go back and see her, she's in a season two episode, and I believe her voice is dubbed in a really bad Russian accent. It's not her real voice so
0: interesting it's really funny as
2: everybody rushes to netflix (laughs) exactly exactly
0: and then i also had to give a nod to lauren lauren cleaning up dyson's gym which i thought was adorable
2: (laughs) getting rid of bacteria and e coli and because that takes some balls lauren metaphorical balls to clean up that smelly of a gym but she would do that
1: i totally believe that that's what lauren would do given like a little bit of free time that she had to some time to kill i i totally believe that she would like start scrubbing dyson's gym
0: (laughs) it reminded me of that comment she made once about how she imagines that lauren just has a cabinet full of soap which i think i mentioned like a couple episodes ago (laughs) but no I i thought that i thought that was a nice nod to to lauren's at least sort of the way that zoe understands perhaps a bit ocd tendency to clean well
2: yeah and because um, i was a little disappointed when um diana didn't say to lauren oh you go out in the field because i thought she would have been perfect being the doctor and all so she has to stay behind and just be with there with the ipad but so i thought that was great that they threw in that little thing of what she, what lauren would do with her free time just
1: standing around waiting to contact them at the gym <laughs> When Dyson did say something to her about, like, why aren't you at your apartment? And she's like, well, I want to be where Everybody stuff is going where on. The
0: action has, yeah. but, which I'm, is code for, we haven't made the set I know, for her new It apartment. is code yeah, for so. that.
2: But I, I did see that as kind of an all moment, because she's lonely, and she wants to hang out with Dyson and
0: Kenzie yeah. and be
2: with the people who loves her the most, and they're all just hanging on the
1: phone, waiting for word of when Beau will call. It's because Crystal is at her apartment
0: god damn
2: it
1: would you stop playing that (laughs) no i will not stop annie you should know that by now just because i like ally lieber and bond girls does not
2: mean i will go that far with the lost girl world
0: Though I personally would like to clarify on the podcast that while Chris and I joke about, you know, shipping hot pantsless, which we do. We both like Lauren and Crystal together. Mainly, I would just love to see Allie Liebert back on the show again. I think she would actually make a great platonic friend for Lauren. Yeah. So really, when we cry, leaves, it's more just, you know, we're shipping Allie Liebert with Lost Girl. We'd like for her to come back on the show in some capacity. (laughs) but Platonic.
1: Hot pantsless friendship forever. (laughs) Yes. Hot pantsless friendship. (laughs) Or more, whatever. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm cool with We're more. We're okay with the more. Yeah, it's fine.
2: <sighs> I'm not gonna win this argument.
1: he just got so upset with me now.
2: I'm so not joining in the leeb's cry. Not right now. But they're so cute with each other.
0: <laughs> they are pretty darn adorable. Let us know what you thought about Waves. Did you like the Lauren Dyson and Kenzie storyline as much as we did? What did you think of the Bowen Rainer situation? Do you think there's a whammy going on? We would love to hear your thoughts and your theories. You can you can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 39. You can send us an email to feedback at or you could send us a voice message, which we always love getting by clicking on the send voicemail tab at the right, pi- at the right hand side of the page over at drinksatthedoll.com. And while you're at the website, I wanted to point out that I added a tip jar, also known as a PayPal donate button, to the website. It's on the right side of the page toward the bottom of the sidebar. And if you enjoy Drinks with the Doll and have a few dollars to spare and would like to support us, we would really appreciate it. The podcast is free, we distribute it for free, and we always intend to do that, but there are costs to producing the podcast. And if you would like to, and if you are able to, we would appreciate any help you can give in defraying those production costs. We really enjoy doing this podcast and interacting with other Lost Girl fans. It's really the highlight of our week. So thank you for any support that you send us, whether it's tweets on Twitter, emails, art. We've been so tickled and honored that a couple of our listeners have sent us some drawings that they've done based on stuff we've said on the podcast. But we love it all. So thank you again so much for any support that you give us. I'm so glad you can join us for Drinks with a Doll. My name is Stephanie, and thank you so much for listening. Cheers.